Hello, and welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast. This is Haig and Jeremy, and today we have our first guest on the podcast, uh, the Reverend Dr. Doug Balzer. Uh, it's great to have you, Doug. Welcome. Uh, Doug hey, is... You again, Haig. Uh, Doug was a classmate of mine uh, when we did the Doctorate of Ministry program at Alliance Seminary. Shout out to the Alliance uh, Minute, uh, Doctorate program. Um, <laughs> Doug uh, it was someone who I learned a lot from. Uh, in our cohort. He's someone I look up to and I'm grateful to have him here uh, to talk about his new book and just to learn more about his ministry and also uh, about the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, so welcome, Doug. Yeah, really good to see you again, Hike. I wish we lived closer. I think we live about 5,000 uh, kilometers away. So yeah, I'm Canadian, kilometers, not miles. <laughs> yeah. You've proven that you're a true Canadian with the kilometer comment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But I am sporting my uh, Magnolia Farms, Waco, Texas coffee cup here for the podcast. Nice, there nice. You there you Jeremy, go. Jeremy, are you drinking tea right now? Yes, I am. It's the Christ but, Coffee Podcast, bro. Well, <laughs> it's it's green tea, so it's caffeinated. Oh, okay. So I am okay. I am staying caffeinated. So yeah, the premise of this podcast is pretty much we drink coffee. We invite you to bring a cup of coffee while we just talk about theology, conversations with friends, and we invite you to just join uh, every week, Wednesdays in the morning. So welcome to our viewers who came back from the previous week. And, the three uh, of you. All three. Of, I think we've increased our viewership <laughs> to three to four. So we're, we're moving on yeah. up and Doug is probably going to have a couple of friends. Um, <laughs> so things are good. Uh, so Doug, how's it going over there in Calgary right now? Well, we're, we're locked down. We wouldn't be the same as the New York City area. That seems to be the hot spot in the world. But, you know, everyone's working from home and social distancing um yeah it's, it's sort of heresy to be out and about if you don't have a very good reason to be out and about but uh, it's certainly not as bad as what i understand it is in in your neighborhood there in the manhattan area new york city area yeah it's pretty uh, chaotic over here a lot of friends and family members getting the disease there's that one degree of separation now of someone knowing who passed away from the coronavirus um so yeah it, it is being re uh, getting really pretty real here um, it's still going on, but the, the curve has flattened a bit. So there's good, there's optimism and goodness, uh, hopefully to pursue in a couple of months ahead. Um, so Doug, uh, please tell us about yourself. How did you get into the ministry? Uh, when did you decide to become a pastor? Oh, I never did. Um, <laughs> you know, some people who are vocational ministers, they, they might describe themselves as having a vocational calling to ministry. And, and that's never been my, my story. When I was in my middle, late adolescence, I, I felt the Lord kind of nudge me in my heart and ask me a question. Would you like to put your life in my hands? If you do, I'll do with it what you can't imagine. And so my calling, I always describe, is more of a calling to a person, and that is Jesus to do what he wants me to do, when he wants me to do it, much more so than a vocational calling. So to be pretty frank, I've, I've always felt um, uncomfortable uh, as a vocational minister when I view my vocation primarily as that. I'm not, I'm not opposed to people who do have a calling that way. I'm just, I'm just sharing mine. So it, it's always been a, a journey where I don't know what he's going to do next with me. I've never been able to predict it. And I've had to re-up on that uh, sense of calling to him, you know, thousands of times. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, here I am today 
and uh, I serve a, a group of about 115 churches in the province of Alberta. So a lot of leader development, um, assisting churches, um, helping um, it, congregations and church leaders towards spiritual renewal. That would be a big part of my focus these days. And uh, I, from what I understand, uh, this is well, my first time uh, meeting you, Doug. It's a pleasure to uh, meet you and get to know you a little bit. Um, from what I understand, you uh, work at the moment. Uh, Jesus has called you to work uh, within the community of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, what called you to um, that specific community and uh, how, how you've been serving it over the past couple of years? Well, I didn't grow up in the, I'll call it the CMA uh, for mm -hmm. an acronym, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, th this would be the largest denomination in my region. There's probably no other church group that has more, but I understand in some parts of the States, uh, we may not be all that uh, well known, although we were founded um, in Manhattan, uh, pretty much right across the street from the David Letterman Theater in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's fun. So, you know, I didn't grow up in, in, I grew up in more of a, you could call it sort of a mainline uh, denomination. And when I was in my early 20s, I became a little bit disillusioned with the passionlessness for Christ. And I didn't know anyone in the CMA, but I got a hold of, to make a longer story short, I got a hold of their statement of faith and looked into their ethos. And they, they were and continue to care deeply about two things. One would be Jesus and the deeper life that he desires to manifest in, in the internal world of a believer through the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. So, you know, we call that the deeper life, Jesus going deeper, but then also Jesus going outward. Hmm. So it's not just about me, but it's also about mission. And this is where um, the CMA, it, I'm, I'm, it's, it's an abbreviated story, so I'm skipping over a lot of things, but <laughs> really got going in, in lower Manhattan, in the financial district where the founder, a guy named A.B. Simpson, had a really prestigious Presbyterian church, and he wanted to reach out to the immigrants. At the time, a lot of Italian immigrants, and they didn't want him to come to their really clean and prim and proper church. So he started up his own gig to reach people who did not have an opportunity to hear about Jesus and to do so in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So that's been our ethos, and you know, like any, like any group, it kind of wanes. There are seasons where it's hotter, seasons where it's colder. Sure. Uh, these days, it seems like it's kind of hotter. We're coming back to some of these, some of these very simple and ancient things. Hmm. Yeah, and and so um, within that construct of going, uh, I think you called it the the deeper life or the inner life of of uh, Christian discipleship, and then also the missional life of going out. Um, how are you kind of entering into that now and helping these churches, uh, this network of churches, accomplish that mission of going inward and outward? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question, Jeremy. And, um, you know, the CMA would come under the banner of evangelicalism, mm -hmm. which I have to say is different in Canada than it is in the States. And um, we, we frequently try to distance ourselves from some of the U.S. evangelicalism that has taken mm -hmm. on a real overt uh, political agenda. So, you know, we're, we're, really, we're really none of that. Um, <clears throat> but evangelicalism in the last 50 years, uh, we really fell into the trap of uh, modernist thinking 
and trying to defend the Bible against science, as if there's any contradiction. If there's anything true in science, God made it. So where is there a contradiction? Mm -hmm. And I use that as an illustration, just to paint a picture of the church over the decades got away from experiential faith mm -hmm. and moved towards more of a purely cognitive faith. And I'm not arguing one over the other. I think it should be both. You know, love the Lord to God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Like, let's use our right. brains. But there's also a heart element. And so there's a, a movement called the church growth movement in the, in the 90s and into, into the 2000s. And it was more about a cognitive engagement with people. Hmm. And these days, um, in terms of renewal and what I see God doing, people are waking up to not a new thing, but an old thing. And that is Jesus is, can be experienced cognitively. But he's also to be experienced experientially. And the, the Christian the Missionary Alliance came out of the holiness movement. So a guy named Wesley, back yeah. in the 1700s, he had what's called the Aldersgate Experience in London, England, where he felt his heart deeply moved. And coming out of uh, the Enlightenment, anything experiential was really uh, cast with dispersion on. And Wesley... Um, and his followers in the years and centuries that have followed has spawned all kinds of movements around the world mm. where people are coming awake to Jesus can be experienced. He can change a life. Um, he can make a difference. He can be known in the heart and in the head. So that's mm. the stream that I come out of. Um, we're not, we're not the only stream out there. We, we partner with all kinds of other denominations and different stripes and, mm. and, and we're grateful to do so. Yeah. Yeah, actually served for a while in a, a Nazarene church, which also comes out of the holiness movement and uh, connected very deeply to Wesley and Methodist movements in the States here. So, uh, yeah, kind of cousins, I guess, with the CMA in some, yeah, the some way. Yeah, the are in some ways quite similar, uh, sister. Yeah. sister yeah. So you mentioned just uh, before we get in, uh, into the book, you mentioned just a little bit about sort of the, the uh, for lack of a better word, the, the ancient roots um of of this pattern of christianity that looks inward towards a full holistic experience of body minds your soul really and um and the outward kind of missional aspect so so you mentioned wesley um are, are there any other maybe touchstones historically to um to the the cma tradition or just the connection of the inner life and the outer life that we're called to live with jesus well our founder ab simpson uh canadian mm -hmm but then eventually found his way into Manhattan. So mm. he, he championed a lot of these things. Uh, another more well-known uh, CMA author would be A.W. Tozer. Sure. Um, a lot of people know him. So he, he was an Alliance pastor. And so he, he, was, uh, he was a prophet calling mm. the church out. Mm. And uh, his words still ring pretty true today when he describes society. You think he's reading about something from last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, he would be uh, another primary influence. But, you know, the Alliance... It's often called the Alliance for short for the Christian Missionary Alliance. Mm -hmm. in, in my region, well over 50% come from non-alliance backgrounds. So we're living up to our name. Like, what is an alliance? An alliance is people coming together. Mm. And uh, that is highly descriptive of most regions of the Canadian Alliance. A lot of people come from, from different backgrounds. And in effect, they're agreeing that Jesus is the center everything else is secondary mm. you know there's important theological things to talk about but he's the center he's meant to be experienced he can change a life and he has a mission 
uh, that he invites us to be a part of in the world. So some, you know, some denominations are creedal. They come around a common creed. Uh, I would not say we are a creedally oriented tribe. We are more of a, a tribe that comes around a common mission. And the creed um, takes a secondary, it's still important, but it takes a secondary role. Hmm. Beautiful. Uh, well, that's a great segue into, uh, into the, the book that you've written. Um, I'd love for you to, I think you have a copy there, a hard copy for us. Uh, yeah, yeah. thanks for letting me plug post it. Post it for oh. everybody, yeah. It's, yeah, it's called The Empowerment Pivot, um, How God is Redefining Our View of Normal. And, you know, part of the, part of the book is my own narrative, maybe, maybe a quarter of it. Hmm. And, and the rest of it is, is what I'm trying to, I guess, I'm, I'm trying to help people believe in a different narrative. And hmm. all through history, it doesn't matter what world religion you study, people tend to form pretty tight boxes around their religious experience. And at the core of all of God's attributes, if there is one commonality in all of his attributes, it's his infinitude. And that is a word. I had to look it up. <laughs> but, you know, just, just, just go with me here for a moment. You know, is God a holy God? Yes. But he's not just holy. He's infinitely holy. You can't come to the end of it. Is God a loving God? Yes. But he's infinitely loving. Is he a just God? Yes, but he's infinitely just. And so whatever makes up an attribute of God, underneath it is his infinitude. And if that's the case, then whatever experience you, Jeremy, or Hike, or any listeners have had with the person of Jesus Christ, your experience is only a drop in the bucket compared to what it could be, because you can't tap God out. Mm -hmm. So one of the chapters is on a God that you can hear. He's a revealing God. You can't come to the end of your own experience of knowing his whispers in your life. So that's, that's sort of where the book goes. And because of that, um, there's always a new version of normal to experience. Uh, God isn't redefining normal whimsically, but because he is an infinite being, whatever your version of normal is in relating to God or mine, that's not his version because there's always more of him to be experienced. So the book is really uh, an invitation for people to believe a deeper narrative. It's not a new narrative. It's an ancient narrative, but perhaps to have a different narrative. And it launched on, um, on uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, I find it interesting because in the news, so frequently people are talking about the new normal, the new normal these days. The right, right, right. And as, uh, I was listening to a podcast of two economists, um, both of them from the States, uh, just last night. And they were talking about that last week of March, they referred to as welcome to the first week of the rest of your life. Hmm. That's after the world opened up, the stock market comes down. It's the first week. It's a new normal. And none of us can predict it. But in the midst of all that, uh, God is always redefining people's normals. He's always hmm. adjusting them towards his character. And so hmm. it's, not, it's not an appeal to charismania. It's not an appeal to Pentecostalism. It's not an appeal to an alliance. It's, it's really an appeal to um, adhere to the, the deepest nature of God that we know. And that mm. is infinite being. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's um, probably directly connected to the fact that when Jesus calls disciples, he says, follow me, right? Which indicates that he's moving forward and you're having to do some of the, the walking to catch up to him, right? And so I imagine that there's definitely... Um, a challenge for the church today to embrace that. Um, what, what do you think? I mean, just, um, 
in general, uh, maybe in your experience in, in Canada, but I'm sure you've experienced uh, networks of churches in the States, what some of the challenges are to embracing that kind of vision of God, that narrative of, of uh, infinitude that seems to always call us to a new faithfulness. Uh, what are some of the challenges for churches adjusting in that, that narrative moving forward? Well, one of the challenges is giving up the, the false sense of control. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean it needs to lead to chaos. But, mm-hmm. you know, some of, some of this is just, you can get there by rational thought, in a sense. So a lot of people in the church, I would argue outside the church, although they don't maybe recognize the placement of their hunger, but they're desiring a transcendent experience. Mm-hmm. They're desiring a connection with God. And so if you are desiring your tomorrow with Christ, to be deeper, richer, more fuller than today. What that means is you've got to let go of some things. In other words, status quo can't remain. Mm. But we like to hang on to status quo because there's comfort there, but the comfort doesn't always deliver. And so, you know, a challenge um, is to let go of control. And so, but the way I'm trying to argue it in the in the book is is not to let go of control for control's sake but to pivot towards the nature of God. So that's, that's what compels me. And you know, I, I have been in church services that are very charismatic, and the presence of God is profound, visibly. I've been in churches that are very liturgical, no electronic instruments whatsoever, ancient traditions, and I've seen the presence of God manifest in powerful ways. So it's, it's not about style. And sometimes I know in the evangelical Canadian context, People can get tripped up on the style. So I'm a, I'm a renewal catalyst. All well, people think, oh, you're a charismatic. Well, you know, define your terms. Mm. If, if I'm going after God and he's infinite, then I need to let him control some things. But that doesn't mean there can't be rich tradition in the same way. So for, mm. for, for church leaders, uh, you know, the big question is, are, are you preparing things for your people that are entirely predictable? Or are you giving space? for an infinite, somewhat unpredictable, yet wise God to intercept in your preparation, but also in the in how we conduct, how we lead our, our times of services, worship services, making disciples, whatever it might be. Hmm. Yeah. Boy, I love that. I love that uh, image of creating space. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful way to frame it, of creating space for this infinite God to maybe redirect and reorder some of the ways that we've tried to box him in i think uh i, I definitely feel and Hyde, maybe you can speak to this i feel like if here in, in in our context in the states that that there is a sense that uh we have trouble letting go of that box <laughs> that we've sort of boxed got into uh would you agree with that uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree, especially during the crisis we're in right now. It's it's forcing people to live this new normal, as Doug mentioned earlier. Um, so a lot of things are out of our control right now. The economy is out of our control. Our, our How we are living each day is different. Um, and it's, it's a wake-up call in many ways. Um, I, I am noticing more people are engaging uh, for something deeper uh, to life than the comfort that they've already had. Uh, now that's taken away. Um, other people are getting angrier at God, but more people are drawing closer at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting time we're in. And uh, uh, we did talk about last week about um, 
Ascension Sunday. And I know in, in your book, you, you talk about how we need to take back Ascension Sunday. Uh, why do you think in the Western church specifically that the topic of Christ's ascension gets ignored? And, and what is ascension to you, Doug? Well, I don't, I don't know why it gets ignored. I haven't really plumbed the depths on that. But th this is really the missing jewel. Um, so it's, it's chapter four in the book. It's called Pivot to an Ascended God. So we all believe that Jesus died in our place. So his crucifixion is your crucifixion. Um, and in, in Orthodox Christianity, we believe that his resurrection is our resurrection. So we're joining him in this. But what, at least in my circles, we haven't really embraced is that his ascension is my ascension. And so the classic passage is in Ephesians chapter 1, where it says Christ is seated far above every power, ruler, dominion, and authority. And then a few verses later in Ephesians 2, 6, it says, and we are raised up with him. We're seated with him. So we are raised too. So how does this play out? Well, I, I relate the story in, uh, in the early part of Acts where Peter and John are walking through the gate called Beautiful. And there's a lame guy there. And, and arguably they've passed by this lame guy more than once. And this is what he, the guy does. He sits on the corner and he begs for money. That's his vocation. But on this one particular afternoon when he's begging for money, Peter, um, likely getting some kind of prompting from the Holy Spirit, says to him, look at me. And the guy looks at him expecting some money. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the guy's healed instantly. And, and this, this lame guy has an experience with Jesus. But let's just oh, pop the hood and take a look at under the hood. How did this happen? Peter said, what I have I give you. What did Peter possess? Did Peter ask Jesus to heal him? No. He didn't put his hand on his shoulder and go, oh, Jesus is a really good guy. We really hope that you might find it in your will to heal him. Please touch him. He didn't beg Jesus. He didn't cajole Jesus. He said, what I have, I give you. What did Peter possess? He possessed the very healing presence of Jesus. It wasn't of him, but it's in him. And in Canada, our, our blood supply, you know, when people donate blood, it's called the Canadian Blood Services. And the, the logo, their, their motto used to be, it's in you to give. I don't know if the American counterpart had a similar, but it's, it's I, I, I don't think thing, so. You know? yeah. it's, it's in you to give. And I think what the church um, broadly is missing is that we don't know what we have in us. Who do we have in us? Jesus. And as we live a life, um, not just running around doing things on our own, but being responsive to his voice, being obedient to his promptings, the church has a lot to give away. And this is, I think, the last remaining great apologetic for the church. And that is her, her daughters and sons who are deeply redeemed, walking closely to his voice, and uh, being at a beckons call to give away what's already inside them. And, and who, who in Chicago, who in Manhattan, who in Calgary would not want to be intercepted with the God who loves them, who can heal, who can demonstrate his very presence tangibly on the street level, especially mm -hmm. these days. So mm -hmm. if I were ever pastoring the church again, I would make a very big deal about Ascension Sunday. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the climate that we're uh, in at the moment with uh, pandemic and illness and isolation, um, 
how does ascension speak into this situation? How does ascension wake the church up in this moment to minister to the broader global community? Um, how does ascension do that for us? What does it wake us up to? Well, if you think of the major, the major moves that we, the church calendar celebrates, so you have incarnation, so God is with us. Great, he's with us, but is he dead or alive? You have resurrection. Okay, God is with us, but he's, he's alive. Mm. He's not a dead God with us. He's an alive God with us. And, um, and then when you, oh, the, I, I missed the crucifixion in the middle of it. You know, he, he's doing something about and has done something about the massive sin problem. Mm. But ascension, ascension points us, especially now when economic systems are crashing and, you know, there's a lot of hypothesis. None of us know where this is going to go. Some, some think it's going to bounce back in six months, and, and other people think this is the, the beginning, the, the first week, the beginning of the rest of your life where there's a new monetary world order coming yeah. around the corner. We don't know. But what we do know from Ephesians 1, that the ascended Christ, he's seated far above every power, ruler, dominion, and authority. So there's not a monetary system. There's not an economic system. There's not a global system. There's not a trading system. There's not a virus that... That can, that can trump Jesus, that can overtake him. Hmm. And so that is a great message of hope. There, there's a caveat to it, though, um, and that is it's up to us to pivot towards his ultimate lordship. Because hmm. we can still live not acknowledging the ascended Christ, or we can come under his sovereign reign hmm. and choose to participate with with his world order, which is, is often flying in the face of, uh, you know, conventional thought. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's a message of hope. Um, uh, the, the ascended Christ communicates contemporarily, but the last chapter is already written and hmm. that there is no sighing and tears and sadness and that he is active in restoring and that, to quote uh, Hike and my friend Rob Reamer, he is on the throne. He is not nervous about mm. the global economy. Mm. He's not wringing his hands about this virus. God does not cause a virus. I don't, I don't go down that road. But he will be in the circumstances to redeem the situations. And, and would you agree that, like, in, in some sense, ascension is an invitation for, and it sounds from what you've said so far that, that this is what you're getting at, but that ascension in some sense is an invitation for us as followers of Jesus, as people who embrace the kingdom of God that has come. It's an invitation for us to participate in this rich kingdom that he's brought into the world. And, uh, and, and so I wonder what kingdom communities would look like in this moment in response to this pandemic. Um, communities that gather around the ascended Christ, maybe on just a very practical level, what they would look like uh, in the midst of this, especially since now we're kind of isolated and stuck indoors. Um, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit, what we could look like as a, as a kingdom community now in the world that we live in. Uh, in the midst of this kind of strange, isolated season we're in. Well, I like where you're going with there, going there, Jeremy. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the concept and I'll tell a brief story. And so hmm. you know, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Hmm. So that it, you, you alluded to that. that. That's the ascended Christ. And so at Pentecost, you have, so here's the church and here's God in heaven, wherever that is. At Pentecost, God sends his Holy Spirit. So he's sending his presence 
down onto earth into the church mm. ascension is god is saying to the church i'm raising you with me so mm. which is it is it god who is down with us or is it us who is up with him mm. well i think the answer is it's both mm. and that we ought to live our mortal lives towards the presence of god but yet we all are already immortal in that our spiritual life is secured and eternal so our eternal life can also be going the other direction towards the earth. So here's, here's, here's the story. Um, I needed a car part a few months ago. And uh, I think I tell this story in the book. It happened last August. I was fixing up a car. I went to a wrecker. And some of these auto wreckers, they're pretty rough places. They're like, that's maybe where they hide bodies and those sorts of things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who is, who is uh, dealing with me, his name is Anton. And um, he's wearing... A ball cap and really dark sunglasses even though we're in this dark dingy outbuilding and he's cursing himself he, he's saying oh my damn headache and he's cursing himself and and i i felt prompted to ask him um a few questions about it so like do you often get headaches and now we're walking around the yard trying to get the part do you get headaches a lot he goes no i i never get headaches but yesterday i woke up with this i can't even think and i can hardly see and the whole time he's talking about this i'm hearing a voice in my spirit that is saying, pray for him. I want to heal him. I want to heal him. And so when I'm buying the part and he's behind the counter, I, I, I jumped off a cliff without a parachute. And I said, Anton, I'd like to pray that Jesus will heal your, your headache right now. Um, and I didn't ask for his permission. I just said, you just keep doing what you're going to do. And I, and I just started to pray out loud. I said, Jesus, would you show Anton that you love him, that you're with him, that there's not a single thing about his life that doesn't matter to you. Or would you heal him now? So pain, I rebuke you. And healing presence of Jesus be released upon Anton. And I prayed for him twice. And to make a longer story short, Jesus completely healed his headache. And he had his hat off and his sunglasses off. Like wondering what on earth happened. And then <laughs> someone else came and intercepted him. And that was the end of the conversation. Like he hmm. was working. He was taken away in another direction. So, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a narrative. Like, you know, to, to ask the church, church, do you know what's in you? The mm. presence of Jesus is in you. And in any relationship, whether you're isolated and on a Zoom meeting, we can, as prompted by the Holy Spirit, extend the peace of God, mm. extend healing. In so many churches, there's the benediction, now the Lord bless you and keep you. This is one of the few prayers that I see regularly being prayed, prayed that is connected to the ascended Christ, and they're not begging Jesus to do anything. The pastor mm. going, and now Jesus, would you please give your church peace? No, there's no negotiation. The pastor, the priest, whomever, usually with their hands out, correct? Yeah. Oh, the Lord bless you. I, I've studied this like anecdotally. When those when those benedictions are given, people often have their hands open, even just very subtly because they know something's being given away. What's mm. being given away? It's the person of Jesus, the ascended Christ. He's present. And so I think the pivot, the shift, is to not just live from below, trying to touch heaven, but understanding that Christ is ascended. He's taken us with him. And from that place of ascension, the throne room of God, now blessing the earth with his presence. Boy, that's beautiful, Doug. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's a pun fully intended. That's a gift uh, that you've given us today. So thank you for the gift. Uh, hi, do you want to follow up with any other questions?
you do mention that you felt nudged in this moment, like you were hearing something. And I know there's a chapter in your book dedicated to, to the hearing the voice of God. Uh, can you explain that? Because I know a lot of people struggle with this who are Christians um, and they're trying to figure out if they're hearing from God if, or if it's their own thoughts. Or can you just touch upon that chapter and, and just your, your thoughts on that idea that, that God could still speak to, to me? Yeah. Well, we all have multiple voices in our minds. So we, we, have, a, we have our own voice, like my own thoughts. Uh, we all have voices of people that were maybe influential. So perhaps, um, I'll just use you here, Hike. perhaps there was someone in your past that spoke positive words to you, or maybe, maybe a person in authority that spoke condemning words. So those voices can, like as a memory trigger, that can be a voice. Uh, the enemy can, be, um, can have a voice in our lives. I mean, why, why are all those passages in the New Testament, they're, they're about the enemy warning believers, you know, who are they written to? They're written to believers, like be on your guard. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to kill, to deceive. He builds up arguments and strongholds against the knowledge of Christ. So the enemy's voice can try to de deceive us, lie to us, but yet there's a fourth voice, and that could be the voice of Jesus. And it takes, it takes some time and maturity to be able to, to distinguish between those, but what I find in my circles is far too many believers assume that they can't hear the voice of Jesus. But that's not true because the Bible says that you have the mind of Christ. And if you go into that passage, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about how Paul says, we've received the Holy Spirit. He shows us spiritual realities. And this, and I'm summarizing, and this is the mind of Christ. So if a person is in Christ, then the Holy Spirit resides within her or him. And we ought to take the posture of defaulting towards, he may very likely be whispering to me. And for most of us who have learned a little bit, and I have a long ways to go still, to learn to listen to the, the whispers of Jesus, it's just that, it's a whisper. And anytime I've seen him um, perform his uh, presence or, or display his presence in more manifest ways, it's usually being obedient to a whisper, not fireworks, not a big billboard in my mind, um, often counterintuitive. And it's never about me. It's always about blessing somebody else. And one of the best ways to, uh, to learn how to listen to the voice of Jesus is ask him to teach you. Uh, again, I tell the story in the book, but in 2010, I, I was convinced that I don't know how to listen to the voice of Jesus. And so I started asking Jesus to disciple me on that. And I got on a journey with him. So I guess I pivoted and said, I got to believe what the Bible says, that you're the shepherd, you, you speak to your sheep. The Bible says in John 10, that the sheep know his voice. If I don't know the voice of Jesus, it's because I'm not, I haven't learned to recognize it. And I, I would challenge any of our listeners to find a way to ask him once a day, for two weeks, Jesus, would you teach me how to hear your voice better? And he will, he'll teach you. Um, but it, it will require some faithful obedience when he asks you to stick your neck out in ways that uh, may not be normal. Um, but most of us want a, a life that's a little bit beyond normal. Absolutely. Um, what about the dangers of this, what you just mentioned? What if, what if the person is hearing uh, a voice uh, and they're unable to discern the voice of Jesus. Uh, what, what, are, what are some parameters, some safeguards? 
just in case, like someone says, uh, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to leave my wife and to go marry someone else. Like, how, is there some checks and balances with this? Because it could be some dangerous territory. Well, I'll get to that. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. I, I would also say that there's dangers in, in not learning to hear his voice because then, then we can be self-deceived into thinking that we're going about his business, but we may, we may not be about what he really wants to be about. I wonder what that would look like. <laughs> your, your point is well taken though, Hike. Your point is really well taken. Um, because people do get deceived into this. So the, the voice of Jesus is never going to con contradict, or the experienced word from Jesus is never going to contradict the written word of Jesus. So learning how to walk with his voice in his voice is not a replacement for being in the word. So people who hear his voice well in their spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Big reason why they hear him is because they know what his voice sounds like in scripture. Hmm. So to be regularly in the word, to be regularly meditating on scripture, to have a, a prayer life that is active and growing, so that when you move from the closet of prayer to the marketplace, it's actually not a move. It's the same environment in terms of being with Christ and being rooted in his word. Um, often people who want to learn this, I think the Lord gives them right-sized assignments to develop. Uh, he's not going to tell you to leave your wife. And uh, he, he's, not, he's not going to tell you to do something that's beyond your ability. And he's, he's kind and he's, he's gracious and he's generous. And uh, just like a shepherd is gentle with the sheep, so is Jesus the shepherd. He wants his sheep to be able to recognize his voice. And um, so therefore, it would be good to learn in community, if any listeners wrote there, to go on a journey in community and talk about your experience with one another. And it's, I find it's often not in challenging people's wrong um, assumptions, but it's actually giving people courage to believe the still small voice that very well could be Jesus telling you to go and ask for forgiveness from your wife, for instance, <laughs> or uh, be generous to that person, that neighbor. Like, okay, that's probably not Satan, those kinds. So maybe we ought to just give the voice of Jesus a little bit of credit and, uh, and believe him when he calls us into holiness. Yeah. Yeah, I find it fascinating how often uh, I hear people discrediting this kind of language of listening to the voice of Jesus because they jump to the kind of extreme conclusions that Haig is going to here where, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, God is telling me to leave my wife or I, you know, open some whatever. And it said to, you know, give all my money away to this person or that person. And it's, it's a much more uh, rich practice that takes, as you said, community and engaging scripture and, um, and it's something that I think is, uh, yeah, quite frequently ignored by the church for um, less, less powerful moments of sort of just uh, neglecting the Spirit's movement in our community and instead just exploring our minds instead of, um, instead of participating in this rich journey with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the danger isn't just in, um, in believing the wrong things. The mm. danger is also in not, not believing in the right things. So like Peter, mm. 
thought he was tracking with Jesus. And at one point, Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. So I'll, I'll ask it as a question. Is it possible for a believer who is not learning how to listen to the voice of the shepherd to be on a very different page than what Jesus is wanting that person to be about? Mm -hmm. I think the answer to that is yes. And so mm -hmm. there is a danger in excess, and there's also a danger in ignorance. And sometimes we think, well, as long as I'm kind of ignorant, at least I'm not in danger. No, 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 you are equally as dangerous. In mm -hmm. fact, Jesus' harshest words were towards religious people who thought right. they were about the heart of God, but were not. Right. That's whom he had his, for whom he had his uh, condemning words for. Right. So I think there's a, a subtle message to the church there is to know him, know him richly in his word, know him richly as individuals, know him richly in community so that we can display him richly to the world around us. Right, right. Probably gives a thickness to the language of not taking the Lord's name in vain, right? I think it's probably quite a bit more dangerous to go out there saying we stand for Christ without actually being the ones who are following him, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, thank you, Doug, for, uh, for, for this opportunity to connect with you today. And uh, I really appreciate the time that you took to spend with us and walk through your book here. Can you, why don't you put the book up one more time and plug it one more opportunity? Sure. Well, here it is. You can uh, get it on, you can get it on Amazon on paperback. You can get it on Kindle. And uh, yeah, appreciate you plugging that. And uh, yeah. it's with you. That's the, the great power, opportunity. The empowerment pivot. Uh, please check it out if you uh, want to learn more. Uh, Doug gets what I love about your book is how uh, vulnerable you are in it. You share some very uh, open stories about your trauma and your hurt, uh, but at the same time, you you pivot us. But the pivot is so Christocentric, uh, which I really love uh, about uh, this book. Every chapter, it's about the ascended Christ. It's, it's pointing us to Christ. Uh, so, so I really appreciate uh, that in, in the writing throughout. Uh, it was a good read. I thank you for, for that. And I know you have some couple of other books uh, in the works. We'll, we'll bring you back for another episode and we'll, we'll talk about some of the, the, the material that you're currently working on. Um, so Doug, uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Um, we're, I'm getting to the end of my cup of coffee. I have one more sip left. Um, so uh, yeah, we just are grateful to have you as the first guest of the Christ and Coffee podcast. Uh, tune in every week uh, for those who are viewing uh, on Wednesday mornings. We will upload our videos. Uh, remember to stay caffeinated uh, and remember to uh, keep uh, Christ in the center. Um, as we uh, are in this weird times of quarantine, uh, let us focus on the, the ascended Christ uh, uh, during this time and, and uh, know that the Lord still reigns and uh, he's on the throne. As was said earlier, he's not nervous. We could go to him. Uh, so if you're going through some struggles right now with your fears, with your doubts, uh, go to him. Uh, ask that question. Uh, Lord, teach me how to listen to you. Uh, thanks for watching, everyone, and tune in next week. Thank you, Doug, for, for this wonderful time. We, we've now become an international podcast with your presence. <laughs> well, hey, really great to be with you guys. Doug, pleasure to meet you. Take care.